Welcome to the Roxborough Church Podcast. For more resources and information, visit RoxboroughChurch.org. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. You're heading out to Children's Church. So if you're heading out to Children's Church, that means you're in fifth grade or under. Fifth grade or under. If you're over fifth grade, you're staying in here in the sanctuary with us. So if you're under fifth grade, you're saying, uh, yeah, I'll let y'all figure it out. All right, there you go. There you go. You're heading out with Miss Lisa and Miss Michelle. I think the older kids can stay. We don't need them at this point because you got Lisa and Michelle. Okay, you guys got it worked out. Good, 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 good. Great. All right, well, hey, um, you just heard, uh, you, you heard uh, Elder Sue share with us that there are some, some folks we're praying for, specifically for Rick and Jackson. Um, they are down at Pilgrim Church right now, right now, like right now, I think right now in this moment, Rick is singing his song, In Control. And so uh, he is down there performing, and, uh, and they are kind of doing a public service announcement for the way in which Roxborough Church and Pilgrim Church are partnering together to do youth group and, and, uh, and, and junior youth group. And so Pilgrim's going to begin to send their kids up here on Sunday nights to uh, be a part of the youth group up here, and uh, yeah, we're just really excited for that. So we'll continue to pray for Rick and for Jackson as they explore ways to kind of serve our community in even greater ways. Um, I want to just uh, quickly just visit a couple of things before we get into the Word this morning. Um, all of you can, can attest to this. It is just a difficult time to figure out how to do, what is the right thing and how to do the right thing in the midst of all the things we're hearing all around us. Let me let you know what's happening here at Roxborough as it pertains to masks and trying our best to, um, to mitigate situations. So what we have decided here at Roxborough um, is that we will continue to offer the opportunity for folks to be mask-free if, if, uh, if they desire and are willing to show their proof of vaccination. So if you would like to be mask-free when you're indoors with us, we simply ask that when you come the first time, um, that you register with uh, Charlie or Lori, Pastor Charlie or Miss Lori, and they're just going to record that you were vaccinated. And then at that point, when you're inside, you're welcome to remove your mask and to uh, be mask-free. If you'd rather not uh, share whether you've been vaccinated, we just simply ask you to remain masked. Just remain masked. Nobody's going to ask you if you've been vaccinated. Nobody's going to point fingers at you or wonder why you were or were not. We're simply saying if you're, if you're masked up, you're choosing to do that. If you would like to be masked down, we are asking that you uh, show that you have been vaccinated. Um, if you want to talk about that, you want to talk to somebody about that, like, I, I, I recommend this order first to the Lord, right? Just go to God and be like, hey, God, what is going on with this? Because I keep going to him and saying the same thing. Uh, honestly, I'm just like, God, like, can, can, can this all end soon? Um, and then after that, if you would like to talk to the church leadership, you can come and talk to me. You can talk to any of our other pastors or elders. We'd be happy to talk about that. Um, but we're trying our best to mitigate those situations around us, and that's how we're uh, choosing to go forward with that. Um, also want to just reinforce what uh, Michelle shared about the conference that's coming up. We, are, we have an amazing opportunity to host a conference from uh, pastors and leaders from all over our city. And uh, we're really, really excited for this. I mean, uh, the, it will be a great way to spend your Saturday. And so I want to encourage you. Um, it doesn't matter if you lead in a church or not. We, we, the, 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 the conference is designed for anybody who says, I love Jesus. And God is using me in some way, whether that's using me at home, whether, whether we're asking, you're asking God to use you in your workplace or with your friend circle. If you're just saying, hey, I want to continue to mature in Jesus, 
We're bringing some of the best people we know to this space and saying, hey, just, just, just share with us. And so it'll be, uh, it'll be a quick Saturday. I want to invite you to, to go online today and register for that so that we can make sure we know that you're coming. Um, that'll be a great time. And then lastly, if you're visiting with us, Pastor Charlie um, will be right over there at the end of the service. And we do a five-minute party after service. And that's for anybody who's new to us, so whether you're visiting for the first time or you've just never been to the five-minute party. We invite you to come over for that, learn a little bit more about what's going on, and so that you can think about how you can continue to plug in with us here at Roxborough. There it is. That's the end of that. Let's pray. Father God, I pray right now for an anointing on your word that goes forth. God, I pray that your word would just, uh, would, would, would just kind of echo through this space, drill deep within us, Father, and you would do a great work through your word in our lives. Allow us to understand what it is that we are learning, but also what it is that we have been declaring week after week. We love you, Lord, and we'll seek to lean into this time. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm so excited to continue with this, uh, this time of worship and, and really thinking intentionally about what it is to say that we know something that is biblically true or that we have an understanding of biblical truth. Last week, we, we did a little bit, a little bit of that. We're kind of carrying on that same theme. Last week, we talked about the fact that God is everywhere and always present. And then today, just kind of drilling on this theme that we know our Redeemer and specifically that our Redeemer lives. The focus this week is on the truth that Christ still lives. Uh, did you know that the Bible records that Jesus lived and died, resurrected, and that that last part, that resurrection part, is evidence in the scripture? You know, it, he first appears to the ladies on the path, not if you know that story. Okay, if you don't know that story, it's okay. Uh, we'll, we'll revisit that right around Easter. But he, he first appears to the two ladies on the path, and then after that, he appears before the disciples, not if you know that story, right? That's the first time that Jesus walks through, walks through the door without opening it. That's kind of a cool moment, right? Like profound moment, like God just, just right through that space. And then after that, the Bible says that he appeared to more than 500 believers, Right? So it wasn't just like he showed up with one person or two people or three people, but the Bible says that he appeared first to those two, then to the larger group of the disciples, and then he appeared to more than 500 other believers. You know, I don't know which church he decided to show up to when they were gathering together on a Sunday morning, but he showed up. He showed up. I mean, think about that, right? Like this idea that, that the resurrected Christ, Christ having experienced life, death, and then the resurrection unto the Father then says, let me go back again and be before the people. And he offers this reassurance and, and this, this, these new promises or these continuum of old promises again. Jesus gives us reason to believe in the biblical promise that our Redeemer lives. In case you missed it. The Bible tells us the story of Jesus' life. You know, like from childhood. We, we first encounter Jesus when he is young unto his mother, right? And young unto his mother, Jesus is everything from like a table flipping, like, like ruckus causing. And then a little bit later on, he's a wine making. And then a little bit later on, he's a miracle working. And then, and then we know him as a faith-inspiring, and we finally get to this place that he, he is disciplined 
in his study of the scriptures, he becomes a Bible-preaching teenager. I mean, think about that. Like, all those things I just said, he was still a teenager when he did all them, right? He was, it was still in his younger years when he did all them, right? And then from there, he grows into his leadership, what extends all the way into his early 30s, right? Like, Jesus and the miraculous nature of, the, of God in our presence, 33 years. And the amount that he accomplished in that time, let alone the cross, we haven't even gotten to that. Let alone defeating the grave, haven't even talked about that. Just the amount that he accomplished in those first 33 years up until that point where, where we see him going from infant to teenager to miracle worker to coming into his own ministry. We know that Jesus was arrested. We know he was put on trial. We know that trial was a bit of a sham. And, and we know that he was found guilty for, for, for a crimes in which he was innocent. And yet we know that then he was punished. And then after the punishment, he was sentenced to death. And that death was through the form of the crucifixion. And, and we know that Jesus' story does not end there. Let, let me get an amen for that. It doesn't end there. Amen, amen, it doesn't end there. We know that the story doesn't end with Jesus in this position. So we know that Jesus' story continues, but where does it continue? How does it go forward? Well, the testimony is that the grave could not hold him. You know that story, right? The grave could not hold him. We know that the stone was no longer affixed over the opening. We know that three days later, as the stone was removed, we know that the, that the tomb was empty. We know that their first, the, the people who saw it firsthand, and they have testified to it. We know that Jesus then walked through a door. We know that Jesus then showed up before the disciples. We know that Jesus then showed up into the church. And we know this, that our faith, which is so intimately tied to Easter Sunday, which comes on the heels of a heavy and weighted Good Friday, is something that is quintessential to all of us that Jesus defeated the grave. Our faith hinges on the fulfillment of this promise. It's not going to show up on the screen. If you have a Bible, go ahead and uh, open it. If you don't have a Bible, write this down so you can check it out later. John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, Jesus is going to make the, a promise to the disciples. You probably have heard these verses before, but let me say them to you again. In the first verse of John chapter 14, he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. That's Jesus talking. He says, My Father's house has many rooms. And if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? This is Jesus talking to the disciples before he has died. He says, hey guys, you know how this story goes. My daddy has a place. and his place, there's plenty of room. I'm going to go and get it ready for you. And if I go and I prepare a place for you, this is verse 3, if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the place where I am going. Jesus, talking to the disciples, gives them this promise. He says, hey guys, 
I'm not going to be with you forever. Now, this is kind of a little bit, a little bit of a, because, I mean, the disciples had just given up everything to go be with Jesus, right? And so in their mindset, they were like, I am loyal. I am here. I, I, I laid everything down to be with you, and therefore, we're, we're ride or die kind of people. Like, we're on this all the way through, right? And Jesus says, hey, I, I want to break some news to you. You already know this, but it's just a reminder. This is a short term. I'm out of here real soon. And when I, when I slide out, I got an assignment. I got somewhere where I'm going. But hey, before you get too sad about that, just listen. I'm going to go, but when I go, I got a job to do when I'm there, and I'm going to get everything ready for you. And as soon as it's ready, I'm coming back, and then I'm going to take you to be with me. Now, that was both, like, discouraging and encouraging together, right? Like, anytime you're like, hey, um, this isn't going to be the way it's been, like, it just feels a little bit like, oh, like, what do you mean? What do you mean we're not going to be together right away? But then he's like, no, no, it's not going to be like that forever. I'm actually going to make it so that we can be together forever. That feels a little better, doesn't it? Right, at least a little bit. Like, there's a little encouragement in that. Like, oh, okay, like, you're leaving, but you're leaving for the purpose of making it so that we can be together again. That feels, that feels right. We see the beauty of Christianity is that the authority oh, is, 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 that, uh, is that the beauty of Christianity is that it has authority over the grave. Like, being a follower of Christ means that we believe that God has the authority over the grave, that what comes to an end in this life is not the final say. You see, the promise that God, uh, of God's invitation to all of us remains available today and through all of time. We're going to pick up Job's story here. And in Job's, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> excuse me. And in Job's story, he is talking, uh, he, he's, he's talking with his friends. And just to give you a little backstory, like Job um, was a man that was tested Tested by Satan with the approval of God. You want to talk more about it, we can spend some time in there. But God says, yeah, you know, if you want to test somebody, test Job. He's, he, he's going to do all right with this. And, uh, and Satan pokes and prods at him and tests him a little bit, a lot, actually. And, uh, and Job gathers together some close friends, and he says, what should I do? Like, how do I handle this? And by the, by the time we pick up the story, his friends have, have kind of rebuked him and said, well, I don't know what's going on, but it must be your fault, Job. So kind of lay it down and make it right, otherwise you're going to die. And Job's confidence have even suggested to the point that he might just walk away from all that he believes. And that's where we're going to pick it up. We're in Job in the 19th chapter in the 21st verse. You'll see it up on the screen. Have pity on me, my friends. Have pity, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you pursue, pursue me as God does? Will you never get enough of my flesh? Oh, that my words will be recorded that they were written, like they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead and engraved in rock forever. This is what he says in verse 25. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand on the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh... I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, and I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. If you say, 
how we will hound him since the root of the trouble lies in him. You should fear the sword yourselves for wrath will bring punishment by the sword and then you will know that there is judgment. So Job has just kind of taken all of this rebuking from his friends and finger pointing and, 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 and people trying to give him a shortcut out of the situation until he finally just says, guys, would you stop? Stop. God's hand is in this. And then he says, I wish there was some way that I could just declare this, that it would be remembered forever. Now listen, in case you're not familiar with the story of Job, this happened long before Jesus came to live. This is an Old Testament, early Old Testament story, right? But what he declares are the truths that we know to be true through the life of Jesus. It's profound. Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives. That, that, that the one who was meant to, re, uh, to, 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 to gain me back or, or, or to pay the price for me, that he lives and that he will stand here, here. That he will stand here on earth. That, that it won't be some pie in the sky kind of belief. Like I know that he will walk on this earth. And even... If I die, I know that God will pursue me, that God is coming for me, that God is on my side. Oh, and by the way, if you don't know that, this is where he ends, if you don't know that, oh, then you will know and experience judgment. I mean, what a... What, what a profound thing to say, and, 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 and again, if we were saying it now, we're like, yeah, of, of course, right? Like, I've read the Bible, and so that's how I can say that. But, but Job didn't have the Bible to read. Job didn't have the declaration of who Jesus was. Job didn't even have Isaiah's uh, um, prophecy of who Jesus would be, right? Job is not speaking from that spot. And so he is literally declaring from what has been revealed to him from God that, God, you're in the midst of all the chaos that's going on around me. And God, even though it feels like I might die at the hands of this, I know that you won't abandon me. Maybe somebody needs to know that today. In the midst of all that's going on, in the midst of your world right now, in the midst of the pressures you're experiencing, in the midst of the fears that you have, God's not absent from it. And he won't just leave you in it. So when I say the words, my redeemer lives, you got to figure out what does that mean. The word redeem, the word redeem, it means to gain or regain possession of something. It means that, that, uh, that to compensate for the faults or the things that are not right about something. So when we acknowledge that Jesus is the redeemer, we acknowledge that there's areas of our lives that need to be compensated for. Last night, uh, one of my children who may be in the room wearing a red sweatshirt decided he, um, from, from, and he's, been, he's, been, he's been working out, hitting those early teenage years, you know, and so he decided he wanted to enter an arm wrestling competition in our house. And, uh, 
And so he started with arm wrestling the youngest one in the family and ah, devastated him. And then moved on to his slightly older sister and oh, crushed her spirit. You know, and then moved on to his just barely younger brother and mm, decimated him. But then he challenged mom. Look, there's some things I know in life, right? And one of the things I know in life is you don't challenge moms, period. End of statement. Amen? I know some people in this room know that, right? You don't challenge moms. But he did. He did. And so you got the young, you know, pre-teenage boy and <clears throat> the slightly more mature mom. And, and they're going more mature in life, I meant. Not in, you got me. Okay. And so I love you, hon. I know you're going to watch this. And so they, they begin to arm wrestle, and it's a stalemate, and they're back and forth against each other. Nobody's winning. And then he begins to flex his bicep. And when he does, mom's arm is starting to shake, and, and it is clear that, that he's on his way to victory. However, young Tommy, the youngest one in our family, knew intuitively mom should win this. And so he compensated for the area of life that mom was not as strong in. And he added his muscle to mom's muscle and crushed the pre-teenage boy. Why? Because my, my six-year-old son looked and said, oh, I see an area where something needs to be compensated for, right? Well, as silly as that arm wrestling illustration is, I bet you you're going to remember it, and I bet you it even makes a lot of sense if you think about this. What are the areas of your life where you've been at a stalemate and you're losing ground? And if not for the compensation of God on your behalf, you would have lost. You would have given in. You would have fallen to another temptation. You would have led away from what God desired. But God, through the work of Jesus Christ, compensates on our behalf through life, death, resurrection. Maybe the way you've heard it, and I would say it, it goes like this. If you were to open your Bibles into the book of Romans, into the third chapter, you would hear these words in chapter 3, verse 23. For all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know what that means? If you look at the person next to you, you can say this. We have something in common. We're both messed up. And you look and say, you look a little bit less messed up than me, or, or maybe you look a little more messed up than me, but you know what we have in common? We're both messed up. And we can say that like jovial and happy until we actually really think about it. You see, the reality is the brokenness of our lives was irreconcilable absence of the work of God absent of the work of God, there was no way for us to be not messed up enough. We were too messed up. The sin was too real. It was too far askew from what God desires for us. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin, the, what we deserve is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, which is found in Jesus Christ. You say, well, how is that possible? In Romans 10, 13, it says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
Friends, Job, again, long before Jesus walked the earth, Job was declaring these truths. The truth that it was only through his Redeemer that he would live. And the truth that anyone outside of his Redeemer would not live. So this morning, let me try to break it down in three quick points that you'll be able to follow along with. The first is this. Christ is the Redeemer and Savior of all who believe. Christ is the Redeemer and the Savior of all who believe. The Gospel of John in the sixth chapter, this is what it says, starting in verse 60. It says, on hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who could ever accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling. Well, stop for a second. And that make you feel good. Think about this. Think about this. The disciples are the people who Jesus picked by hand. He walked around the crowds where there were thousands of people. And he said, oh, I'll take a Joan. Oh, I'll take a Darnell. Oh, I want a Sue. Ed. Heather. Isaiah. He, like, he picked us all by, he picked the disciples by name. He called them out. He said, I want you to come with me. Right? Now, I don't know about you. Like, I remember middle school. Does anybody remember middle school? Put your hand out if you're still in middle school. That does not count. The rest of us remember. I don't even know if they still do this. But when I was a kid in middle school, in gym class, anybody remember middle school gym class? You know, like there were three games you played in middle school gym class. It was like kickball, dodgeball. Did they play basketball in your gym class? We didn't even play that in my gym class. It was probably another game, but I remember kickball and dodgeball. And what I remember most about kickball and dodgeball was not the actual game. It was before the game. You know what happened before the game? Everybody lined up on the wall. And then they picked the two best players. The, you know, the, the one who threw the hardest and the one who could dodge the fastest. And he said, you guys are going to be the captains. And then all the rest of us, all 30 of us, were standing on the wall like this. When do I get picked? When do I get picked? And you remember how good it felt if you got picked anywhere near the top of the list, right? Like if you were the last couple, you, if you were the one before the last, it still felt really good because at least you weren't the last one. But I, I know some people are starting to, your dreams might be being crushed because you're remembering this. There's counseling. We, we'll help. But, but listen, listen. I remember lining up on the wall and I just remember being like, I don't care if I get picked last, but don't let me be number 30. Jesus walked around the crowds. He didn't pick number 30. He picked his 12 as number one. I want you. Now listen, this is what it says. This is those disciples. Jesus has been teaching with them. He's been hanging out with them. He's been having like, you know, like hangout parties with them. The five-minute party Pastor Charlie's doing, Jesus did that a long time with them, right? And then it says, he began to teach with them, and the disciples started to say, oh, this one doesn't feel good. Verse, verse 61, Jesus was aware that his disciples were grumbling. They were grumbling. They were picked by Jesus. You were hanging out with the Messiah, and they were still grumbling. Can you just imagine that? Can you imagine it? You were selected by God and you were still grumbling? 
You're like, mm, I don't know, mm, not sure. Mm. You got frustrations while you're walking around with Jesus? I know it sounds crazy to think about. <clears throat> so Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Now what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Verse 64. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. That's what it says. Jesus is, again, he's talking about the disciples. He says, yet there's some of you who don't believe. Did you miss this? Who, who was he talking to? He was talking to the disciples. How did, he, how did the disciples come to be? He lined everybody up on the wall like middle school and said, I want you and you and you and you and you. They were picked by Jesus. And when Jesus started to teach, they started to look at him a little crazy. And when they looked at him a little crazy, some of them, and specifically one of them, was like, uh-uh, I'm out. I can't get on board with this. Jesus knew, for Jesus knew from the beginning which of them did not believe and, and who would betray him. And he went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has made it possible, has enabled them. From, that time, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed Jesus. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And then Simon, Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. 69, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. In John 17, in the seventh verse, it says this. Now they know, this is Jesus talking to the Father. Now they know that everything that you, Father, have given me, Jesus, that it came from you. For I gave them the words that you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and that they believed that you sent me. You see, friends, the first thing we need to understand about our Redeemer, or one thing we need to understand about our Redeemer specifically, is that Christ is the Redeemer and Savior to those who believe. Christ good man, prophet, faithful teacher, to everyone else. But to those who would trust in him, to those who would believe, redeemer and savior. He paid a price for your life, and he saved us to the Father. He gathered us to the Father. He plucked us out of where we ought to be. And redeemed our purpose and value to the Father. It sounds so easy to just say Christ is the Redeemer and the Savior. But I think Jesus himself made it clear that that is true for those who would believe. Another way of saying it is this. 
Jesus' value to those who don't believe is just morality. Because there's no salvation in knowing about God. There's salvation in relationship with God. Does that make sense? The gift of salvation is not, did I memorize the book? The gift of salvation is, have I yielded my life to the Messiah? Have I received what God has for us? All right, if you're following along, let's move together into the second point this morning. The second point, following the first, is that Christ lives. You see, all, all, all the... Um, all the, oftentimes what we talk about is the, is the work that Christ did in dying and the work that Christ did in defeating death, but specifically the promise that Christ still lives today. Um, one way that, that I've heard it said this is a, a biblical scholar and preacher once said that Je if Jesus' body was ever to be discovered laying in the grave, then the Christian faith would be forgettable. If the body of Jesus was ever to be discovered as still being present, decomposing in a grave, then the Christian faith would be forgettable, dismissible. Because the Christian faith hinges on the promise that Christ has resurrected, that Christ still lives today. Paul wrote to the church in 1 Corinthians in the 15th chapter, and he said this, he says, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection from the dead? I mean, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ would have been raised. And if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is useless. And so is our faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he had raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then our faith is futile. You're still stuck in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Jesus, we are, all, we are of all people then most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Paul's writing to the early church and he says, church, if, if the resurrection isn't true, stop gathering on Sunday mornings. Because there's nothing for us to hope in. Our hope is in the promise that Christ defeated the grave. And like he said to the disciples, I'm going to prepare a place. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come and gather you to go there. Like that was the promise. When I was young, I feared death. I was afraid of it. This idea of like, Closing my eyes and never being able to open them again. Like it gripped me. I didn't know any promises about a God who would do it, offer me anything else. I just, I just 
I knew that death was a thing. I knew that people died. There were people who were alive in my midst and who weren't anymore. As I came to know Jesus, I recognized this. Death is still a thing. But my God, he defeated it. So I only fear it if I don't trust my God with it. It's still a reality. Absent of the sky cracking, I will experience death at some point. Absent of God opening his, you you know, the trumpet sound, absent of that right now, I'm going to experience death at some point. But, oh, death, where is your sting? Because my God defeated the grave. Surely, if my God can resurrect from the dead, then he could do something with this. He could do something with this. He's not going to abandon me. He's not going to forget about me. He's not going to leave you there. Surely if my God will, will resurrect situations in my life, how much more will he resurrect my, my life with his? Oh, God. So Paul, when he writes to the church, he says, look, you can trust in this, that God, Christ, is alive. And if you ever find out that he's not, walk away. Walk away. And Paul could say that with full confidence, not because he wanted the church to walk away. Like, that's like me saying, hey, the back door is open. You can walk out if you don't believe it, right? And not because I want you to walk out, because I know you believe it. I know you'll stay because I know you believe. So Paul, when he writes to the church, he encourages them. He says, church, Christ is alive. And if he's alive, then all the more he's evidencing that he desires to raise you from the dead. All right, so if you're following along on these truths, then let me give you a last one this morning. God is a faithful and unchanging Savior. God is a faithful and unchanging Savior. First John in the second chapter says this, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. That's a great spot to stop, isn't it? I just, I'm writing you a letter so that you'll stop screwing up. Now, I don't know about you, but whatever he says after that, I want to read it. I want to read it because I know that I'm tired of screwing up. Is anybody with me? Honestly, is there anybody who's like, look, look, look. Is there anybody who's like, like, I'm just tired of losing this battle? Is there anybody? So he says, I write you this letter so that you will not sin. But if you do, we have an advocate with the Father. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the righteous one. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the entire world. John, talking to the early church, says, church, I'm writing you this letter so you can stop screwing up. Oh, but if you screw up again after you get my letter, here's a word of encouragement for you. There's someone who is defending you. 
who is advocating for you, who is battling on your behalf. And that someone, his name is Jesus. And here's something you need to know about him. Jesus is the Christ. The word Christ meaning the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. And he is the only righteous one. He is the only perfect one. He is the only one that is completely blameless before God. Now, I don't know. Like, just recently, there was a there was an MMA slash boxing fight that was meant to happen, and it was a, it was it was a, oh who was that guy? Mm, I need I need a, no, no fans in the room. All right, well, it's, it's going to be irrelevant then. But anyway, so it was, a, it was a boxing match. It was it was a reputable senior boxer, world renowned senior boxer. I can't remember his name right now. Oh, he, he, I think I think he's Mexican. Oh my gosh, I should remember his name. And he ended up not being able to box um, in this fight like a week beforehand. And it it was uh, COVID-related. So he got COVID, and so he couldn't box. And so then they said, hey, we don't want to lose the payday from this fight. So let's find somebody who will fill in for him. And the fill-in was this guy named Evander Holyfield. Maybe you've heard of him. He, he was a boxer who was boxing all the way back into the 80s, right? And so I, I know for some of us it doesn't seem that long ago, but as a boxer, that was a lifetime ago, okay? Like, like that was just a long time ago. He hasn't had a real boxing match since I think like 2006 or something. Like he's had like 15 years of not boxing. And on two weeks notice, he says, I'll step in and, and, and take this guy's fight. How do you think that went? How many people think it went really well? Yeah, you're wrong. You're wrong. Okay, so there you go. You're wrong. He, he, it, it, it was like 90 seconds of, like, uh, of, of, the, of the ref trying to get in between and stop the fight. He was like, this is awful. It's not going to work, right? But here's the point. Here's the point of this, right? What they, what they realized they needed, they needed somebody who would, who would step in, who would, who would stand between, who would fill this space. They found something that was imperfect in its model, Right? Let me just tell you about some, someone who will step in, who will stand between, who will fill this space, who will cover us, who is perfect in its model. His name is Jesus. He is the Messiah. And he doesn't stand in between for everyone. He stands in between for you. For you. Specifically for you. It's not a blanket cause just for anybody out there. He died specifically for you, for me, for everyone who would believe. And he has the ability to atone for the sins of the entire world. In other words, there's nothing so egregious that God himself can't cover it. Jesus' desire is to be the faithful and unchanging Savior for you, for you. So what do we do with this this morning, church? Well, let me say it this way. I urge us, church, today, renew your hope in the promise of the resurrection with God. Confess the areas of unbelief that they may be replaced with a true and pure belief. Taking confidence in the eternal hold of you 
that God himself has. Believe that nothing can snatch you out of the grip of God. Believe that nothing can remove you from the grace of God. Trust that Jesus himself has done enough on your behalf that God's hold on you is eternal, it is tight, and it is true. I'm going to give us a moment to reflect on that just quietly where we're at in prayer. I'm going to invite Scott to come up. He's going to play on the, on the keys with us a little bit. And during that time, during this time, I just want to invite you, just right where you are, take a moment and just reflect on this message with God. God, what does it mean that you're my redeemer? Have I lost sight of the fact that you're alive, that you're present in my world. As the weight, just picture the, the heavy barbell weight that a that, you know, person in the gym is trying to lift. As the weight feels unmanageable, have I lost sight of the fact that you're at work in that space, that you're not leaving me there? So take a moment with me. Just... Let's just try this together. Let's sit back, rest your eyes, rest your mind, just relax. Maybe that's something you just need today in and of itself. And as you inhale and exhale, each one of those times that you take that breath, be reminded of the God who gives you that breath. Be reminded of the God who's in the midst of that breath. Now maybe in this moment, you can begin to think about the areas where you say, God, like, help my unbelief. Help me to be strong in my trust. Help me to hold tight to your promise. God is in the midst of this moment. God might be charging you right now to go into the world this week. He might be inviting you to share the resurrection promise with others. He might be asking you to trust him that he will again and again be faithful to you. More than anything, he might just be reminding you, hey, I'm alive. Come and be alive with me. We're going to invite Pastor Charlie in, who's going to share a moment of 
charge with us. You might not be able to hear my voice right now. And as Pastor Charlie shares these words as a charge with us this week, I want to remind you to then meet him on the side and spend five minutes at a party. Praise the Lord, everybody. Come on, let's give Jesus a clap. Let's just fill a room with a hand clap praise. It's good that we serve a mighty God, right? A God whose presence is everlasting. His word is eternal. His strength and his power is everlasting. His love is overwhelming. And that he fill our days and our weeks, our months, our years with his presence and his power and his joy and his strength. And because he does that, we can rejoice knowing that our redeemer lives. He lives. He lives in us, through us. And we have to spread that love, spread that joy, spread that power, spread that strength to those that surrounds us. Because what surrounds you is the presence of God. And we have to carry that to the rest of the world. And so let's do that. Let's tell the world our Redeemer lives. And he lives inside of us. Share that word. Amen. Father, we thank you for your everlasting presence. We thank you for your gift of love. We thank you for just your redeeming grace and your salvation in our lives. Father, we pray for the wisdom and the strength and the knowledge to share with others, to tell the story that our Redeemer lives, to be patient in our walk, knowing that you order our footsteps. And Lord, help us to say the right thing, to speak on your behalf through this world so that they will know and they will believe that our Savior lives. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. We pray it was life-giving. To find out more about us, visit our website at roxboroughchurch.org and join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m.